Father, thank you so much for this morning. God, thank you so much for your word. God, thank you so much that you are a God of hope. God, you are a God who breathes life into dead bones. And God, you do it through the life-giving word of God. And you do it through the quickening of your Holy Spirit. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for these amazing people in front of me, God. Thank you for creating a team here at Mount Olive Baptist Church who works together and labors together to share the gospel with just one more person. Just one more person. God, we're so thankful for this day and everything in the service. And God, that we, we gather to celebrate. We gather in thankfulness. And God, we trust you. And God, in these moments, I pray that you would work God, in these moments, I pray that you would speak. And Lord, I pray in these moments that you would gain glory and gain attention for yourself. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we've been talking about road trips, family road trips, and comparing them to the road trips that we need to take as God's church. Family road trips, they're good for the family. They're not mandated, but they're necessary, aren't they? I don't know if you guys have been on some family road trips. I felt like I went on a family road trip, and we only went about an hour away, but it took you know a whole lot longer with uh, Thanksgiving traffic and all that fun, exciting stuff. And um, I don't know if you guys went far on road trips, but road trips are are necessary. They're needed uh, in a family, and they're also extremely needed in the church. Church road trips are good, and church road trips keep the longevity of God's church. If we don't take road trips as a church, we would eventually cease to exist. If, we, if we're not taking road trips and going outside of these walls and outside of these doors and into the community, into our state, into our nation, around the world, that if we're not taking those kind of road trips, eventually... Mount Olive Baptist Church would be no more. Not God's church would be no more, but Mount Olive Baptist Church would be no more if we're not taking road trips. We've got to take road trips. They're necessary. They're needed. They're health in God's church. If we don't learn to take them, we'll be in trouble. And I don't think that there's anybody here today that's saying, oh, we're not, gonna, oh, we're not going on road trips. No, 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 I, I definitely want Mount Olive. But, you know, if, if we die, we don't want the church to die after we die. We want to pass on the gospel, right? We want to pass on the gospel and pass the baton to the next generation. And if we're going to pass the baton to the next generation, we've got to preach the gospel. And preaching the gospel involves road trips, road trips. Well, how do we do that? Well, we've been talking a little bit about road trips, and we've talk, been talking a little bit about what that looks like to take a road trip. One of the things about a road trip is it involves getting all that stuff in the car, right? I mean, you get all that stuff in the car, and you heard about how we pack. We pack every single little bit of air in the car. It's just, I mean, we're almost like a, one of those vacuum-packed bags. You know, we get that thing so tight that we almost have to let the windows down a little bit so that we can breathe. You gotta get your toothbrush. You gotta get your toothpaste. You gotta get your floss. You gotta get your shoes. You gotta get your belt. You gotta get all of those different cords that go to all your different electronic devices, your deodorant, you know, all that stuff that is probably essential that you usually forget. A lot of us have those things that we typically forget every single time, and then it's it's something new. But it's important if we're gonna go on a road trip 
Road trips, good ones, they involve preparation, don't they? Good road trips don't just happen. I mentioned that last week. As much as we can say that we want to take road trips with our family, as much as we can make promises about Disney World or wherever we're you know, promising that we're going to take our kids, if, if we don't go on road trips, really we're showing that we really don't want to go on them. If we want to go on road trips, we will labor and save and set aside those vacation days and do whatever we need to do in order to take those road trips. Well, y'all, it's the same with God's church. If we're going to take road trips, we've got to plan for them. We've got to prepare for them. We've got to get ready to go. And in these verses that we've been looking at in Acts chapter 13, we can see a certain environment that existed among God's people. And this certain environment was actually preparing them and propelling them on to go on road trips. They were going to go all over the place. They were going to send people out from their church. They were going to do great and awesome things. But it all started with a certain kind of preparation. So I remind you of a different set of preparing for a road trip that we find in Acts 13. It looks like this, all right? Preparation part number one. Anybody want to take a stab? Worshiping, yeah, worshiping. This is preparation for God's church to hit the road. And big, small explanation for big word worshiping is I'm all in. I'm all in for Jesus. And y'all, if I'm all in for Jesus, I'm going to be all out for Jesus when I leave the doors. So if I'm all out for Jesus everywhere I go, ultimately I'm going to be a part of preparing God's church for road trips everywhere I go, everywhere I go. Preparation part number two. Anybody want to take a stab? Oh, okay, that was, boy, it's hard to forget. The preacher, right, Thanksgiving week, talks about fasting right before Thursday when everybody was not fasting, all right? Fasting. Well, why in the world? I mean, fa- well, fasting. Blake, you, you really talked? I missed it last week. Blake, I, I really did. I really did. You asked somebody. I really did talk about fasting last week. And y'all, it was a, a part of the fabric of God's early church. They fasted. They really did. They really fasted. They really did without things so that they could be with the Lord. Typically, across the Bible, it's about food, it's about drink, but we can fast from many other things, right? I do without this so that I can be with the Lord. And we talked a little bit about last week about, hey, maybe if we were fasting, we might be more hungry to see men and women saved, to see boys and girls come to Jesus. We might be if we are fasting, I, I pray, listen, I'm not talking about these things for my health. I'm not talking about these things for just carrying on another message. I'm praying that these messages about preparation are really preparing us for road trips. I, I pray that worshiping, I'm all in, that fasting, I do without this so that I get to be with the Lord. I'm praying that these things will be even more in the fabric of our church, of our church. So, uh, to the next part of preparation. So we got stuff packed in suitcases. We got the car out the wazoo. I mean, everything's all crazy. But y'all, there's one really important thing that we haven't talked about yet. And that's the actual mode of transportation. You can have that thing packed like crazy. You can see it going down on the wheel well. You got so much stuff in the car. I mean, you can have that thing ready to rock and roll. But if you haven't done your adequate work on the mode of transportation, you might not make it out of the driveway, right? You got to gas that thing. You got to check the oil. You got to check all the fluids and all the different things that I'm not sure what to do under the hood. I call friends for help. 
all those things. You've got to do those things or else you're never going to make it to your destination. Most likely, if you're not doing those things, you'll never make it out of the driveway. Y'all listen. John, dude, we can hit every single note. We can sing to the top of our lungs and we can rattle, we can rattle the walls and we can, yes, yes. Taylor, on Wednesday nights, you can make those services for students pop. I mean, you get every single part of the service happen and it's just everything's tied together in 60 minutes, right? It's tough, isn't it? You pack everything you can in 60 minutes. Bible teachers, Sunday school, Wednesday night, when we do small groups, anybody who's touching the Bible, you know what it's like to you prepare, right? You prepare, and you dig, and you dig, and then the moment comes. Deacons, you can visit every single person in the world. And all of those things we should do if we're all in, right? Those are important things. But if we don't do the thing that we're just about to discuss this morning, we might never make it out of the driveway. We might never make it past the end of the church road if we don't do this preparation step next. So if you've got a Bible, go with me to Acts 13. If you've got a Bible from the rack, it's uh, page 979. Acts 13. These guys are, I want you to know again, I've said it before, but just in case, these guys are not presenting a formula per se, do this, and you get this result. I mean, you know, of course, we all wish it was like that. You know, you go up to the Coke machine and put in the right combination, and awesome, out comes a healthy church. It doesn't work like that. God gives us a model. And thank Jesus for the book of Acts. The book of Acts shows us what the living, breathing life of the church is meant to look like. We need all the letters. We need all the commands. We need all the instruction. But to see the living, breathing church in front of us is, boy, we should just thank the Lord all the time when we, the fact that we get to see what God's church looked like. So Acts 13, verses 2 and 3. While they were worshiping the Lord, preparation part number 1, and fasting, preparation part number 2, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. The fact that it says after, that they were doing something after, meant that there was an action that they were currently doing before after ever happened. The thing that they were doing is they were after they were fasting and praying. Praying. I'm just going to go ahead and cut to the punch, all right? Preparation part number three is praying. Praying. And you say, well, Blake... I know that. I mean, we already did that several times within the service. Blake, we did that in my Sunday school class this morning. Praying, of course we pray. Of course we pray. But y'all listen, sometimes, probably not you guys, okay? But some people get so used to certain things in church and the way that certain things are that something as important as prayer can actually lose its value. It can actually lose what we're originally designed to do. So just in in a couple words, if I could go through the Bible and show you what the Bible uh, sums up when it comes to prayer, I'd put it like this. Prayer is personal communication with the Lord. Okay, thank you, Blake. That's really simple. Appreciate that. Well, maybe that'll help this morning. Prayer is personal communication with the Lord. With the Lord. With the person who created life. With the, with the person, our God, who sustains life. 
with our forgiver, the one who provides forgiveness, the one who's our redeemer, the one who sees the end of the parade from the very beginning of the parade. We get to have personal communication with him, y'all. Sometimes I think in the moment of right before the meal or right before the class or as a part of the service, I think sometimes we lose sight of the fact that we're having personal communication with the Lord. The Lord. It's absolutely amazing. You say, well, Blake, just in case, just in case you lost, again, lost sight of the big picture, I just want to mention a couple things. Why would the Lord have us pray? Why, Blake? I mean, if the Lord's big and the Lord's in charge, and if he sees the whole end of the parade from the very beginning of the parade, why does the Lord want us to pray? I just want to jump through just a couple things this morning, just to kind of jar maybe a reminder for us. Some of us, for some of us, this might go way back, but I think it's important because sometimes, again, we lose the big picture. But, but prayer, y'all, why would the Lord want us to pray? The Lord wants us to trust him. The Lord wants us to trust Him. See, I, I don't know about you, but sometimes we, we get used to certain things and, you know, we do certain things and we almost pray the exact same thing every single time, but the Lord wants us to trust Him. The Lord wants my trust in Him to increase every single day longer that I get to live. The Lord wants me to depend on Him like a little child depends on her daddy. And if you're a daddy or a mommy, you know what that's like. You, you have a little child, especially when they were even more helpless. That's what God wants prayer to be like. Daddy, I need help. Father, I don't know what to do. Lord, I have no idea what to say to her. Lord, I have no idea what to say to them. Lord, I need your help. Our prayer actually magnifies the one who's giving the answer to our prayer. It makes much of God when we're so needy and so dependent. You know what prayer does in my life, especially answers to prayer? See, I I remember the days when I was praying, God, help me to make it in life with my sister. God, help me. I I mean, we were the brother and sister that were, you know, don't cross the line. Any brothers and sisters like that? You know, you inch over the line. Oh, yeah. Okay, they're right here. Okay, don't be inching over the line this morning. And Stephen, you can break them up. You know, that kind of whole relationship. I mean, I remember praying, Lord, please help me in my relationship with my sister. And y'all, you know what? God answered my prayer when I was in eighth grade. I'm not saying that it wasn't a work in progress, but God, actually, my sister has become one of my very best friends in life. If I want somebody to pray for something for me, one of the very first people I call outside of my wife is my sister. And I said, Crystal, Crystal, I need your help. Crystal, I need you to pray for this situation. I don't know what to do. God, I'm here. Crystal, I need you. And and the Lord answered my prayer about my relationship with my sister. Well, you know what happened? After I vividly in front of me saw my relationship with my sister totally change, do you know what I began to do? I began to trust in the Lord that, well, you know, maybe if he helps me in my relationship with my sister, maybe he'll help me with my grades, right? I need help. All kinds of help, right? Right? (laughs) It's okay, Brett, all right? I need help. I need help with my grades. And I'm not saying that I was a perfect student. I had to try. I was one of those students that had to really try hard in school. I wanted good grades. I wanted to go to college. I, had to, I mean, I had to really try hard. I was always jealous of the kid in school that, I mean, he never even really took, um, he never, I don't know what's going on. Okay, everything's off of me. Okay, who knows? All right, we'll give it another couple runs there. Um, I was the kid that always wanted 
to have good grades, but it, it was a real struggle for me. I had to fight. I had, I had to work really hard. But you know what? On that math test that I tried so hard with Miss Weldy in eighth grade, I remember when the Lord came through and I made it. I passed it. I, I remember when the Lord helped me when I got a little bit further. Lord, I need your help now on this one. Right? Awesome. Who knows? I'll do a little... There we go. Put it on the outside. Maybe that'll help. Lord, I need your help. I need your help with my grades. I still need your help with the mic, Lord. But you know, when the Lord came through and helped me with my grades, do you know what? I began to trust him for the next thing. And the next thing was, Lord, I need your help for where I'm going to go to college. And an even bigger decision came right around the corner. Lord, I need your help for where I'm going to live. I need, I need your help. Really important. I need your help with who I'm going to marry. And you know what? Answers to prayer. Do you know what they've done to my prayer life? They've sent it soaring. Not that my prayer life is perfect, but answers to prayer increased my trust in the Lord. The Lord wants us to trust him. That's why we have prayer. The Lord wants us to depend on him. The Lord wants us to count on him. Hebrews 11.6 says this, but without faith, trust, dependence, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. That's what God wants from us in prayer. Well, what else does God want for us in prayer? Y'all listen, the Lord wants us to be near him. The Lord wants us to be near him. This is a little bit difficult for me to comprehend, because I know what the Bible says about God. I know that the Bible says that a day is like a thousand years to him, and a thousand years to him is like a day. It confounds my mind. The Lord is involved with natural disasters. He's involved with earthquakes. He's involved with countries. He's involved with nations and princes and presidents and boats flipping over and car car crashes that we can't even see coming and plane crashes. The Lord is involved in all kinds of things. And yet the Lord wants to be near to me. James 4.8 says, come near to God and he will come near to you. A verse that's been confounding my mind for a very long time. You don't have to try to flip there. It's an obscure prophet in the Old Testament, but I'll just read you this verse. Zephaniah 3.17 says this, The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. What? He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. I mean, miracle of miracles. How amazing is that? God says he takes delight in you. He sings over you. He's mighty to save. In our mode of nearness. Well, how do I get near to Jesus? Through Christ in prayer. Through Christ in prayer. Why does the Lord want us to pray? The Lord wants us to be near to him. The Lord also, this one might throw you a little bit, The Lord also wants us to be involved in the impossible. What? Yeah, he does. The Lord also wants us to be involved in the impossible. I mean, this is another one that's kind of hard for me to comprehend. Again, the Lord sees the whole parade. He can see the end from the very beginning. But somehow, God is so amazing, he's able to see all the events of my life and your life and everyone's lives and everything about the entire planet Earth. The Lord is able to see everything 
And yet still, the Lord, even though he knows how things are going to turn out, the Lord is still able to work all of that to be answering my prayers in the middle of all of this to further kingdom work, eternal work, things that are way bigger than me. The Lord wants me to be involved in the impossible. In Matthew 19, verse 26, it says this, With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. The person who prays big prayers, the person who trusts that the Lord hears and that the Lord is near, this person may get to see God do the impossible. What's the impossible? That the Lord would rescue people from sin? That the Lord would heal that the Lord would do great things, that sometimes the Lord doesn't heal, but he's also doing something else in the middle of that whole picture, and the Lord wants us to be able to get to see the impossible. Now, it's probably no surprise to you that the early church was a praying church. I mean, I probably didn't surprise you with that this morning. You would say, of course they pray, right? I mean, you're supposed to pray. That's what you do as believers in Jesus. This is, again, Blake, this is our personal communication with the Lord. Of course we pray. But you know, what might surprise you is the early church's absolute dependence on the Lord for everything. I don't know about you, but sometimes I get a little bit self-sufficient. Anybody? Get a little bit self-sufficient. I got this. I can handle this. Thank you, Lord. And I get a little bit proud. Probably every single person in the room. Well, you know, when you look at the early church, they had a different view. I'm just going to scroll down. A couple of verses of this is how important prayer was to the early church. Just listen to a couple of these. I'm going to go through them real fast. They prayed for the Lord to extend his kingdom in Matthew 6.10. They prayed for the Lord to speed the spread of the gospel in 2 Thessalonians 3.1. They prayed that the Lord would save the lost in Romans 10.1. They prayed that the Lord would show them how to use the sword of the word of God in Ephesians 6.17. They prayed that God would give them more boldness for next time in Ephesians 6.18. They prayed for fellow soldiers to be healed in James 5.14 and 15. They prayed for the Lord to provide for the daily necessities of the truth, of the troop, Matthew 6.11. They prayed for the Lord to provide wisdom and decision making when we don't know what to do, James 1.5. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. They prayed that the Lord would establish leadership in every new fort or church, Acts 14.23. They prayed for the Lord to send reinforcements to join the work, Matthew 9.37.38. Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. They prayed that all of these soldiers working together would actually go and go and spread the gospel in unity, that they would work together as different as they are. John 17. Y'all, the early church, I could go through a whole bunch more examples. The early church was absolutely dependent upon God. In every single area of their life, they were praying, God, we need you to do this. God, we need you to do that. God, we need your help. Why did they pray so much more boldly than you and I? We have the same access, y'all. In Hebrews, it says that we can boldly approach the throne of God with confidence because of Jesus. We can enter into the Holy of Holies, Old Testament, and get that close to Jesus. He's provided a way. And y'all, He hears us. And we can go right on in, just like the early church went right on in 
Y'all, why does it sound different when we pray? Why sometimes when we pray, does it sound kind of like, if God, God, if you're out there, God, I know that maybe, maybe if you, if you care, right? Y'all listen, God does care and God does hear. But I think sometimes we don't have the same view that the early church had. A couple years ago, I read a book, and this book changed my life when it comes to prayer. And I found by a couple things that I was reading in the book that God was showing me that I needed to have a view of prayer like the early church did. I'm not going to read you a book this morning, but I would really like to read you an insert from that book. So I'm going to read you a quote from that book and pray that it would maybe have the same effect on you that it did for me. Because y'all, I I prayed here and there. I prayed daily, right? You're supposed to do that. When I'd read my Bible, I'd pray. When I'd eat my food, I'd pray before I ate my food and thank the Lord for my food. But something awakened me a little over 10 years ago. Here's a quote for you. Life is war. That's not all it is, but it is always that. Our weakness in prayer is owing largely to our neglect of this truth. Life is war. Prayer is primarily a wartime walkie-talkie for the mission of the church as it advances against the power of darkness and unbelief. It is not surprising that prayer malfunctions when we try to make it a domestic intercom to call upstairs for more comforts in the den. God has given us prayer as a wartime walkie-talkie so that we can call headquarters for everything we need as the kingdom of Christ advances in the world. Prayer gives us significance of frontline forces and gives God the glory of a limitless provider. The one who gives the power gets the glory. Life is war because the maintenance of our faith and the laying hold on eternal life is a constant fight. And Satan is fighting always to bring us to ruin by destroying our faith. Missions and ministry are war. Most people show by their priorities and their casual approach to spiritual things that they believe we are in peacetime, not wartime. Very few people think that we are in a war that is greater than World War II or any imaginable nuclear war. Few think that Satan is a much worse enemy than any earthly foe or realize that the conflict is not restricted to any one global theater, but is in every town and city in the world. Who considers that the casualties of this war do not merely lose an arm or an eye or an earthly life, but lose everything, even their own soul, and enter a hell of everlasting torment? Prayer is for war. Prayer is designed to extend the kingdom into fruitless enemy territory. Until you know that life is war, you cannot know what prayer is for. God has given us prayer because Jesus has given us a mission. Until we feel the desperation of a bombing raid or the thrill of a new strategic offensive for the gospel, we will not pray like Jesus. Where is the risk-taking, the launching out on God alone? The answer is that it has been swallowed up in a peacetime mentality. Every new Pentecost or great working of God has had its preparatory period of supplication. God has compelled His saints to seek Him at the throne of grace so that every new advance might be so plainly due to His power that even the unbeliever might be constrained 
to confess, surely this is the finger of God. In Acts chapter 13, they were praying before they were going. And they were praying about where they were going. And they were praying the whole time they were going. Because y'all listen, they knew that this was war. There are captives outside these walls. Some captives inside these walls. And there is a war for their soul. And we fight the war with prayer. If you truly believed that you were in war, in wartime, not peacetime, if you truly believed that you were in wartime, what would your prayer life look like? Would you pray for your sweetie a little bit differently? Would you pray for your child a little bit differently if you knew that the things going on around them could possibly take their life? Would you pray a little bit differently every time the gospel is going out and there's five million distractions, right? I knew that there was going to be distractions in this message. I knew it. I knew it. Do you think that it's coincidence that when we share the gospel and Jesus' name is mentioned, that all of a sudden there's flies, there's wasps trying to sting the pastor in the head? Do you think that's coincidence? Listen, I'm not trying to make anybody crazy here. I'm just trying to say this. There is a war. It's a spiritual war. And sometimes we struggle to see it because we get so Americanized and so materialistic that we can't see that there is a fight for the people in front of us. And we fight the fight with faith in the Lord Jesus that He hears us and that He wants to work. What if you prayed for our church like that? What if you prayed that every time we were going to gather, it's going to be war? It's not necessarily going to be war among believers, but it's going to be preparing for war, especially once we leave the doors. There's war as soon as you walk in your house. Well, what are you talking about, Blake? It's on the screen. It's on the internet. It's popping up on your little screen. It's popping up everywhere. We are at war. And y'all, I think that we've forgotten. I think that we live like we're in peacetime. And God's word is very clear that we're not in peacetime. Paul penned these words in Ephesians 6, 12. He said, for our struggle, it's not against flesh and blood. It's not about the stuff that you see in front of you. For our struggle, it's not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. There is war. And if you believe that there was really war, in what areas of your life would you pray differently? Preparation part number three is that we would be praying. But praying like wartime praying is different than offering up a little flare before we eat our food. It's important. I think that we should thank the Lord for every single thing that we have. Y'all, I'm probably one of the most thankful people in the world. I mean, I definitely blow it a lot of times, but a lot of times I just walk around and say, Lord, I just can't believe you. I can't believe you gave me this. I can't believe you. And I think that that only exalts and praises the giver of all the things that I'm thankful for, right? That's the best expression of our thankfulness, that we would offer it back to the Lord. I've heard it said that our praise is not fulfilled until we express it, right? Until we give it back to Jesus. It's not fully praise yet. And I ask you this morning, is there anybody that would join with me in praying like it was wartime? Is there anybody who would join me in praying like it was wartime? I pray that you would, because there are souls in this community that are dependent upon it. 
There are sons and daughters in this room that are dependent upon your prayers to God. The future of Mount Olive Baptist Church is dependent upon your prayers to God. Little kids and students that walk in our doors are dependent. God's working in their life are dependent upon your prayers to God. The Lord silencing distractions and the Lord helping us see beyond all the things that get in front of us. The Lord helping us with those things. The Lord answers when we pray and ask Him to come through for us. How would prayer be different if we prayed, y'all? If we really prayed, right? About school? Every day I'm walking through the halls knowing that, man, there's so many people that don't know Jesus, and this is wartime. I've got a couple years with them, and then I'm gone. I've heard so many high school students, y'all, get to the very end, and they say, I wasted it. I wasted it. I was surrounded by several hundred guys, and I never saw them again after I graduated. Don't waste it. For all of us, don't waste the fact that you're placed next to your neighbor for a reason. God divinely orchestrated that. Don't miss the workplace where God put you. You are the ambassador of Jesus in that place. How will we do it, Blake? I'm so scared. The preparation that God would use to help us on our little road trips, right? The ones that we're all, we should all, all right, we all got road trips going on. I'm not talking about us all packing up in a van or a bus, which that would be great, but most likely that's not going to happen, right? But we're all, as God's church, meant to go out on all kinds of road trips all throughout the week all throughout our workplaces. And I ask you, what would God do through Mount Olive Baptist Church if we were preparing like this with prayer? If we really prayed like we were at war? 